Hello and welcome to the Little Minds Big Ideas podcast with the Early Years Network. Hello. Back another Monday morning with everybody. Yes, on Sunday though today we're called. We are filming on a Sunday. All that sort of lost my weekend again, but it's fine. We don't do it very often. We've got um, the expo next week. You have to get another podcast recording on Tuesday ready for that. Well, I was thinking. Well, go on. Could do next Sunday and do a little rundown of the expo. We could. That'd be fun. I thought that might be quite nice. That would be fun. And we just carry on working through the weekend. And then I think... Just never stop? Just, yeah. Okay, that sounds like a good plan. I thought that might be quite nice to do. We could do a little tab out the expo. Yeah, we could do. It was so... And we could talk about... We could bring a topic in and do like a half and half. Yeah. This is nice. We've got a sort of like a creative meeting to start a podcast. So that's what we've all to look forward to. Anyway, today... The big O. Sort of, Said in hushed tones. Sort of carrying on from some of the videos we popped up recently, breaking down um, some inspection reports. Because I think that's a really good way to sort of learn, I think, by breaking down some of these inspection reports as they've happened. Because all the ones we're dealing with are January. February-ish, yeah. And we're moving to February. So every week we'll just break down, probably the back end of the week, we'll break down yeah, some inspection reports. I think it's a nice way to reflect on what you do, what officers are looking at, what your team do and... We want this to be a positive chat, don't we? So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because even looking at what other settings do well, other outstanding Because yeah. there was one I was looking at the other day. They did a Pilates class. They had a, they had a council, so they like voted on things and gave them independence that way. It's just it's little ideas as much as as much as anything. Yeah, there's things you can implement in your own setting. Yeah, because I think sometimes up what you do when we talk about inspiration, it's often physical, your physical environment, and you can often look at what other nurseries have because they can afford it or they've got access to yeah. it. And you haven't, which is a bit rubbish. But talking about Pilates classes or talking about doing councils and things like that, anybody can do it. Yeah, definitely. So we're going to sort of break down what we think is important for getting yeah. and ready I, for offset for the day. And I've also got a class coming up probably next month now, probably in, in March, where I'll break down Ofsted. And then I'll look to probably update that class, I don't know, every six months or so yeah, and sort of just keep changing, it relevant. It? Yeah. And it'll be a combination of what Ofsted are looking for, how you can best implement it, and I'll just keep 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 it alive as time goes on. Okay, so what would we say? Right, ring, 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 the phone's rang. <laughs> Hello, it's Ofsted, I'm coming tomorrow. I'm sorry, I'm closed. <laughs> Busy. <laughs> right, what would your advice be on that phone call? I think my first bit of advice is you often hear people panicking. <laughs> Panic's the first Breathe thing you go to. stay calm. I think yeah. it is. Practice a bit of mindfulness. Um yeah, it comes down to just, just especially for a leadership position, because that's the first people who are going to get the phone call, and then I would assume proliferate that information through to your room leads, et cetera, et cetera. It's just calm, calm. Have a plan for the day. And when I say have a plan, I don't mean be scripted, but also don't shoot yourselves in the foot and try and freeball it on the day. Have an idea of of what you're going to do on the day. And, and really that plan needs to be situated around what do we do best? What do we do best as a, as a setting? What do we do best as if we're talking about an individual childminder? Like what is it that screams, this is us? Because every setting, every childminder will have something about them that makes them unique, whether it's your outdoor space, whether it's engaging with outdoor play, whether you do do Pilates classes and bits and pieces like that. Stick to your guns and show off what makes you guys special would probably be my, makes yeah. you guys unique. When you get that phone call, it's about listening to the questions that they're asking. Yep. And my advice would be, they usually sort of ask, how many children have you got on roll? How many staff members? Um, how many funded children? How many yeah. EAL? How many? All those different things. 
keep those answers in your office. Yeah. Have a sheet of paper with the the norm that they ask and have the answers written down. Don't leave yourself scrambling to find all the answers. Nine times out of ten, I'm pretty sure they'll say, if you can't have the answer now, that's fine. Just have it for me when I come tomorrow. Yeah. Or Monday, or if you've got the call on Friday. But my would my advice to any leadership would be have the answers to those questions already. Yeah. yeah. If that makes sense. Like yeah. have them somewhere accessible so that you, your deputy, any of your leaders who might be there for the Ofsted call has that information. Don't leave anyone in the dark. Yeah. Policies and procedures have access to them. They'll ask you to let your parents know there's going to be an inspection, whether it's a note on the door on the day or whether it's um, through the online system that you use, whatever that looks like. Be show, Shout about it because they'll want to talk they want to talk to parents, I say, through gritted teeth. Um, but, yeah, so I think it's before the phone call comes in, be ready for the phone call yeah. by being prepared with your answers yeah. already. The, the paperwork may not be offset's focus anymore, but having it all in situ and you, you will help will you. will ask on the phone. And it'll help yeah. you feel less flustered. There's nothing worse than them asking for something on the day and you feeling... You don't unprepared, you yeah. don't have it. You do know where it is, but you don't can't get your hands on it. So yeah. just make sure that you're razor sharp when it comes to being um, on top of things. Make sure your complaints and your compliments yep. and your consents yep. folder is up to date. Yep. So if you do anything this week, my advice would be go through that folder, make sure everything's up to date, make sure it's all there and recorded. Yep. And yeah. Yeah. It's make sure you don't get yourself tripped up on any silly other things. Yeah. Referencing, qualifications, da 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 da. First aid. First aid. Just making sure you're you're really on top of it. So then if they do ask you any questions on it, you're that sharp, you're that hot, they're not probably going to spend much time prying because, no, because it's clear you that you're on it. Then. Yeah. yeah. Um so that'd be my advice pre inspection. I think pre inspection get your stuff in order. I think it's also about checking in on your teams as well. Yes. Because massively this sound, this could sound quite mean what I'm about to say, but your setting is only as good as its weakest members. And I don't mean weakest members as in like, oh, they're rubbish, but people who may get nervous on the day, people who really struggle with that element of it, they're probably brilliant every other day, but then suddenly someone's watching them and they go to pop. It That's the, the, the crucial moment. Check in with them and just make sure they're okay. You know, that quick five-minute conversation might just sell their nerves, might make them realise, actually, this person coming to inspect me is just another normal human being. Just They're just going to work like you're going to work. Absolutely. Yeah. And they're there actually to have a positive experience and 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 just examine what, not examine, but view what you guys are doing. And what I think doing. that is true, isn't it? Look, Ofsted days can be really nerve-wracking. I've been involved in a few myself. They, they like, throughout my whole career as an apprentice is, like, going up. But everybody wants it to be positive. And, yeah, yeah I... My first ever offset inspection was when you didn't get any pre-warning. <laughs> they just turned up. And they turned up after lunch. And it was in the days where you would put the telly on after lunch. You'd have some calm down time. You'd watch something yeah, on the telly. Yeah. And I remember the manager, or it was Ofsted, and she said, we're just having five minutes of calm after lunch time. So I was on their lunch break and came into the set. Hello. Came in and said to everybody, Ofsted are at the door. So we <laughs> don't know what it was. We started doing a group time. All right. But that wasn't the kids' norm. Right. So they were like, you are? Why are you turn the telly off? So, I mean, it was a good inspection. It was fine. We did, we did well. Um, but it was just really funny because 
in that moment, you instantly was like, they're not going to want to see this. But then why do you do it? Well, the inspector turned up for an inspection midway through the day. Yeah, but we were a preschool and after school club. Ah, right. So okay. they stayed right. until seven o'clock that night. Right, okay. It's a long afternoon. It's a long afternoon. There was a moment in between preschool ending and before the school finished. Mm-hmm. And we had one child who stayed and did after school club. And I was engaging with him. And I remember this to this day. We were building a train track and we were just chatting and have never felt more watched because my owner and director, the Austin inspector, my preschool manager were all in this cabin and I was engaging with a child and they were just chatting but watching. Oh, my God. It's a bit much sometimes. It was a lot, but it was fantastic. We had a good day. But, yeah, I, I think that would be, like you said, it's... It, you want it to be a positive experience. I personally have never had a negative experience with an Austin inspector. So No, but we won't go down that path. Um, no, but I haven't. <laughs> I've never had an Austin inspector be rude to me. I've never had an Austin inspector expect something that I wasn't expecting. So that's a positive no. from me personally. No. I, I know I'm in the minority. I was going to say I could count off a few different experiences, but that's by the by. I think today we'll have hoax on... That's what I'm saying, the positives, yeah. Um, so on the day, Rice... And that would be my advice that I've just said about don't try and do something you don't always do because you'll be confused and the kids will be confused. Yeah, that's a big one. Stick like, to your guts. Just stick to what you do every day. Now, you might do normally do yoga on a Tuesday, but offset of coming on a Wednesday, so you might do it on the Wednesday as well. Yeah. But don't throw something in that the children have never ever that's, done that's, before. That's not doing yoga for the first time ever. That's, that's just flexing yeah. into a slightly We're different just routine. Tweaking our yeah. daily week because uh, we would like to show offset how amazing we we are. Yeah, it's like for us, I believe, if if an offset inspector came on a Friday or a Monday, and our usual forest school days, our Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, yeah, forest school would be running on the Monday or Fridays. Yeah, <laughs> but it would all show. Yeah, but of course, because you want to show what you do best. Exactly. That's what it's all. Yeah. That's what it's all about. It's finding that combination of the practicalities of running the day and showing off what you do best. And for one day and one day only, a little bit of practicality might go out the window just to be able to demonstrate what you do so well. Yeah, exactly. Look, it is what it is. You know, what I mean, you're trying to show what off what you do. Is is if you don't usually allow children to pour from jugs of water in your twos room, mm. but you know, Ofsted will love it. Don't do it because it's going to be so obvious that you don't do it. No, because the children there'll be are going water to, everywhere. And the, unless you can really blag it in terms of, oh, they're all brand new into the, but even that's not going to work. No, you're not. You're not going to be able to get away with it. If you've got things to learn on, you're best to be honest and take it and move on and learn from it and try and embed it and exactly. put it to practice. By the time your next inspection rolls around, exactly. Um, so yeah, that's my big advice on the days: don't trip the children up and don't trip yourself up. And again, it just comes to calming everyone. Like from a leadership point of view, your role is outside of the office, making sure everyone is feels calm, yeah. situated, happy, content, so then they can do their best. Exactly. That's that's the biggest thing from a leadership point of view. And exactly. and whether that be room leads or leadership of the whole nursery, just make sure you're settling exactly. everyone down so everyone can do what they do every day to the best of their abilities. Exactly. And I don't know whether and um, it was just me. I've seen some things recently online about how actually offset inspectors now are taking the time to talk to staff about how they're feeling on the day, which is really nice. Yeah, but we'll get to that a bit later. We would, no, we will. But I'm just saying that they are, hu- like we said, they're human as well. So if you are feeling nervous, you, you can tell them. Do you remember the inspection uh, of one of our, the last one we had within our settings? 
Do you remember when she walked in? No, and uh, you said, did uh, you have a nice journey? She was like, yes. <laughs> oh, I was like, all right, okay. We, um, I think you can talk as a normal human being. I think that is acceptable. She eased into the day. She was okay when she spoke to me. Well, I, they don't help themselves, though, with things like that. I understand what they're there for, but yeah. you can still be personable. Maybe Positivity. Yeah. We were going positive today. Like, you told me not to say anything negative. Um, um, yeah. Okay, okay, so first big point? Extending learning. Yeah, and all of these points that we've caught, sort of quickly thrown together have come from January's inspections. This is all real, real-time stuff yeah. um, that we thought we'd have a quick talk about because it seems to be the type of things that Ofsted are focusing on the most. We're, we're not saying these are the most important things. We're not saying these are the only things that matter. But it's what, it, if you look at the Ofsted reports, they're highlighting the most. So, yeah. so this either suggests... It's what their focus is, or it suggests these are the areas within the industry as a whole that we need to work on. Sounds fair? Yeah. Or doing really well. I or guess. Just say, yeah. that's been highlighted is excellent yeah. in different nurseries. Okay, so extending learning. You've written down here holistically scaffolding. Yeah, because when, when I always talk about that. scaffolding, anybody who's seen my classes, will always hear me reference Mr. Lev Vygotsky and his idea of the zone of proximal development and this idea of us supporting children to achieve the things that are marginally outside of their scope of ability on their own. So yeah. if you think about in the white area, children can achieve those things. In the black area, they've got no chance on their own. It's that area, that gray area in the middle where they can achieve something just with a smidgen, like marginal use of our help. And when I talk about it holistically, it means when I talk about scaffolding, often we can just think about from an educational standpoint. But holistically, we can talk about it from a behavioral standpoint. So we talk about co-regulation in my latest class that came out last week. Um, go check it out, plug. <laughs> it's a small plug there, me pop. No, but go go check that one out because that's talking about co-regulation and how we can support children to develop self-regulation skills through co-regulation, how our actions, our responsibilities are the biggest driver of self-regulatory skills. Um, and a massive part of that, and I reference it directly in the class, is talking about Lefkowitz's idea of scaffolding and how our little bit of incremental support, bit by bit by bit by bit, can actually then expand the children's skills uh, and competence within within an area. And often what we've seen with these offset reports in January, I mean, they don't reference co-regulation because offset never do, but when it comes to... We just had this conversation, didn't we? And I don't know whether that's because as an industry, we've moved forward with it and offset will play catch up and hopefully start to recognise... Fingers crossed, but offset probably have to have... Ofsted probably have to stay consistent across all educationary um, primary schools, mm -hmm. secondary schools. So their behaviour management policies... Probably have to filter down across all areas of education. It'd be a bit weird if in early years they took a really wouldn't it be great though if advanced. primary schools and secondary schools used co-regulation, but that's another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, extended learning seemed to be one that jumped out a lot. People often seem to be were getting picked up on um not expanding activities, not delving into um and scaffolding learning, not providing children with more seemed to be an yeah, area that often a lot of them, it wasn't in the educational side because people were doing that very well in terms of following an interest. I don't know. To an a few of them did seem to be educational. Oh, okay. A few well, of them. The ones I've read is more about behaviours and boundaries and expectations. Uh, quite a few of them were picking up on if you've got a team of, let's say, six people in a room, 
two people were really unsure of where that child should be going with this activity. So if you had an activity set up, it was like four people, three people in the room were driving it, a few people were passengers. That's what it seemed to be suggesting in quite a few of the reports. Okay. So clearly Ofsted are now going in and examining and, and picking on, let's say in quotation marks, but trying to drive in to make sure the intent in the room, the application of education, the interactions consistently across the room are at a high level, as opposed to just looking at the room leader taking um, taking the lead on it and going, wow, this is brilliant. They're having a look. Because realistically, the average child in a room, if it's a big room like that, is going to interact with other people more than just that room lead. So yeah. the interactions, the meaningful interactions, the learning, and like I said, like I said earlier, that scaffolding, that the, the, the practitioner taking that child into that grey area and scaffolding and, 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 and developing new skills and knowledge with their through their interactions, through their support. If that if their interactions are mostly happy with people who are unaware of how to do this, unaware of that child's specific learning needs or interests, then in reality, it is going to be a poor educational setting overall, isn't it? Because yeah. that one person can't constantly care for the 30 children in that room. No. So it is about ensuring, really, like I said at the beginning, your weakest member is an outstanding is an outstanding member. Because if that is the case, then you're onto a winner. And realistically, the children of your care are also onto a onto a good thing. Yeah, yeah. It's about knowing you three eyes. Yeah, they're still very hot on you three yeah. eyes. What are you? What's your intent? Your implementation of it, and what was the impact? Yeah. Everybody in the room should know, <laughs> as a minimum, what is the intent behind this activity yep absolutely like what is the intent behind it what do you want because if you know your intent you'll hopefully know how you're going to implement it and you'll be able to see the impact and to be honest with you, i've got this is this isn't the next point but it, we are building off this um the other big thing that stuck out was knowledge of children massive and i think that's highlighted even more now that they're not asking to see physical learning journeys or evidence of observation no. you don't need to see that no. so you have to be able to talk about it yeah just because say for instance you still you still write observations our, our team still write observations and do assessments the offset inspector won't necessarily ask to see them you can still show them you can still evidence what you're doing but that's not going to be what it is but you can't rely on those observations no. to talk about your children and where they're at um it's a good idea to have secondary key persons as well because it's the odd day of not an inspector and somebody's on holiday. Somebody should still know yeah. their key children. I always use, I always come back to the idea of vision and strategic thinking because mm. like these are terminologies that we don't often use in early years, but it's really important as a room, as a setting, however you want to scale it out or, or, or zoom into it. It's so important to have vision. Quite a lot of the outstanding nurseries Inspectors actually in the feedback use the word vision, vision yeah, having really strong and clear vision, well communicated across the building. I was say, everybody knows. And the everybody is on board and they understand what their expectations are and their vision for what they want children to be when they're leaving that setting. Because if that is really clear amongst everyone, then you may not, you can't be expected to know if you've got a hundred place nursery, every single child's you know, learning yeah. areas, what they need, interests. But if if we're clear, we're on goal, we have a strategic vision, then you know where to go to get that information. You know that observations are being created. We've got strategic conversations going on about how we achieve things for these children. And then especially in a room, 
if you've got vision and you're, and you're strategic with what you're doing, then your observations will be meaningful and you'll be using them in a meaningful way. Yeah. You will have strategized how you can get observations really clear, precise and informative in the most effective and efficient manner possibly. So you don't feel like you're wasting hours away from the children creating observations and assessment for the yeah. sake of it. Instead, the time you're spent doing that is because you're actually going to use these observations and assessments for a purposeful reason. And then you can think, right, well, what is that personal reason? Well, then it, you bleed back into your three eyes. You've then got your intent and your intent's massive because your intent is should shape everything you're doing from your environment to your interactions, to the activities you create, to the resources you're providing them, the resources you're purchasing, like it just scales out massively and it all starts from from that moment. So if Ofsted are going in and seeing that certain members in your team actually are completely unaware of what these children's even basic level interests are, let alone strategically what's our intent for them and what they're trying to drive out of their learning, what's the point of it, if they're just looking at you blank-faced, then all these things I've just talked about clearly obviously aren't happening as well. No. So that immediately is just you're shooting yourself in the foot. And and everything I've just described and everything then is is not something you're going to solve over a weekend when you get that phone call like or 24 hours like it, unfortunately that is a long term goal uh, no. and these are all things that we discuss and as a as as, as, a, as a as a portal for learning that's that's sort of what we're here for yeah no exactly and it's that knowledge that's going to drive you to be confident on the day as well because mm. if you know that your team have that knowledge and every member of test of the team has that knowledge, has no reason why they shouldn't be confident to scream it from the rooftop no. to an inspector. So it's like you say, you can't fix it overnight. You can't you can't embed things that aren't there. You can't though, no. But if you start today thinking to yourself as a leadership team or even as as part of the in the rooms, what's the vision, get the conversation going and embed it and make sure everybody's on. Because even if you're not talking about it, you will have a vision, you will have an end goal. No, and it's twofold. If you are a nursery that gets pulled up in this area, it's massively, the weight of it's on, on the leadership and the management. Because if if staff haven't got the knowledge, that as, as, as employers, it's our responsibility to provide them with opportunity and provide them with the means. If at that point, are still on, they're not showing an interest in it, then that's the wrong, there's a cultural issue here, isn't there? There's a cultural fit. They're not the right people for you. And if you need somewhere to get information to help your staff knowledge, it's a fantastic website, <laughs> theearliestnetwork.com. This is, this is plug heavy today, isn't it? I do genuinely believe, though, that there's stuff on there that can drive a team to have the knowledge that they need. Yeah, that's... To be motivated. Well, I'm, I'm glad. That's, that's what we did. That is our aim. We did it. So that's our vision. So, yes... Anyway, right, next. Independence. Independence. This is huge. I think this is the biggest one at the moment. Yes. Um, in March, we will have a class on the website all about independence. Um, we do have some social posts about it already. I've talked about it on our TikTok. We've done a podcast on it on independence. We've done a podcast on independence, yeah. But um, there will be a class coming in March now, considering March is yep. next week. <laughs> I mean, independence is huge as a foundational piece of everything we do anyway. So... The fact that they are pulling up on it is is absolutely right. And, and interestingly, they actually pull it up most. I mean, when we talk about independence and when people talk about independence, they often talk about play and it's always involved play, which is great. That's the whole, absolutely, I'm on board with that. But when you actually look through the reports, it's our routines that are getting pulled to pieces the most. It's those moments in time when it's like, okay, learning stops now. 
it's all to do with efficiency and effectiveness and the sort of regimented times of the day, the robotness yeah. of the proceedings, which I completely get and I'm completely on board with. And sometimes when you talk about these things, you can really easily forget that actually there's a lot to get done and there's things you have to do and there's staff lunches and da 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 da. Like the process of it all is a, is a big thing. Um, but equally, learning can't stop. And these routines, these moments in the day are actually, ironically, some of the biggest opportunities to develop independence and learning for children. And what I would say on that is a lot of them comes down to consistency of it as well. Mm. If you're a team of five and two of you are doing things that allow for independence and three of you aren't, there's no consistency there. You've all yeah. got to be doing it. And it's... Comes back to that intent though, doesn't it? Yeah. And having that real clear intent and vision across the room. But they do talk about consistency a lot in terms of independence through, like you said, through routines, um, through your expectations, through behaviour, um, all those different things. The independence comes down to consistency of the team. Yeah. I mean, well. we know that children learn best through social means. Role modelling is a massive thing. And even if you go back to the theorists of bygone eras, they always talked about real work yeah. and children learning from real work. So as much as it might add five minutes onto your day, getting them involved with clearing down, clearing up, um, plating up, doing all these things, it sounds obvious and we often talk about it, but the evidence is in, is in the, the proof's yeah. in the pudding. Like yeah, when you look at the Ofsted report. I was going to say that, I couldn't think of the phrase. When you look at the Ofsted reports, loads of, loads of, loads of earlier settings are still falling down in this area. So as much as there is, it's obvious and it's highly talked about, we're still not getting it. We're still not getting it right. Do you think it comes down to nerves on the day? No, I think it comes down to work, workload, ratios, staff breaks, just the sheer scale of some settings to get through it and get it done. I think for a lot of people, um, that learning aspect of it and that independence, it's, uh, it's more of a pain in the ass than it is uh, the benefit of it. I think it just goes out the window. And if it's going out the window when Ofsted are there, then it, it almost certainly is going out the window every other day. Okay. Because if you're not doing it when Ofsted are watching you, then you ain't doing it next Friday. But that's what I'm saying is that don't try and do things you're not doing if you're no. Ofsted because it's so obvious. But people should be doing it. I think. They should be, yes, and, but and don't I think, try and blag it on the day. If you put a flannel in front of a child that's never wiped yeah. their face before, yeah. then it's going to be think, so painfully I think, obvious. I think it's up to leadership within nurseries to sit down and go, right, what is our expectations of our staff during mealtimes? Is it, is it fair? Because if we're asking them to, to clear away, sort the floors out, resettle the rooms, get the plates and everything back to the kitchen, but also at the same time, can you make sure you're really intent and, and in tune with developing independence and doing it? They're just going to look at you and go, sorry, what? <laughs> so I just stand on my head as well <laughs> while I do all this. So it's about, and also by the way, you, three members of staff aren't in the room anymore because of lunches and you've got these members of staff from other rooms and they don't know the children like, do you know what I mean? Suddenly you just think, well, hang on a second, I've got no help in hell of actually achieving no. this. So it's about having strategy and, and implementing that strategy and then learning from it, reflecting on it, and again, thinking about the best ways that you can put in place for these yeah. moments in time during the day that you are being pulled the most and it's the most clinical in terms of having to regiment and get sleep stone. Like A lot goes on it during does. these couple of hours. It does. And then we were also saying, actually, from an educational standpoint, this is the most crucial time as well, like, crikey. So it's about having open and honest conversations about how can we most do this. So listen to this and go, brilliant, so what do I do? 
Do you know what though? It's you can so only do as much as you can, and it's well. so dependent on your staff and your setting. It, it's a near impossible thing for me to answer for your individual needs because every it, setting is so. Different. It is, and but it also depends what your children are like. Yeah. You know, you could have some that are like absolutely on it. Independence is great. Behavior, they're very calm and regulated. Like, or you could have a class and like seven of them actually really struggle to sit down, really struggle. So once they've eaten, that's it. They've done their job. They actually then want to go tear about and play. And neither child is wrong. Neither child's naughty in quotation marks. Like that is what it is. But then you have to deal with it and flex your structure, your routines in a different way. And that's why it's not a cop out me saying there's no right or wrong answer. It's very dependent on your children. And it's also very dependent on your staff. Someone naturally get what I'm saying and others will think, no, actually I'm, I'm, I'm going on lunch. I, that's more important in this moment of time because I've had a really stressful morning. And again, both are absolutely valid and entitled, but it was very dependent on the individual what's going on and the context. But yeah, independence is massive. So again, this week, if you're going to take anything, review what you do as a setting. I, I think my, to my biggest advice would be is just take it slow. Start off. I mean, you should really be starting this as children come into the room. And then by that point, if we're talking preschool, for example, by the time the next lot of two-year-olds join the preschool, you're at a point where the older ones are exampling and modelling behaviour. I was going to say, yeah. And then that takes some of the weight and onus off, off you as an adult because you're utilising the peers within the room who are older to demonstrate not the behaviours, but the actions and the, and the routine. Too. It's like with um, babies. When they see others crawling and they yep. see others yeah, yeah. doing moving, they start to, well... Usually, they start to want to do it as well. So it comes down to with independence as well. Mirror neurons. Those mirror neurons, exactly. You, They start to want to do what others are doing too. Absolutely. So, yeah, that is a massive one. Next on our list is verbal communication. This is huge. And even when we went to an offset talk, Back end of last year, maybe? Every every offset talk of everything. No, I know, but even most recently... Um, Language-rich environments and communication and verbal language within an environment. Mm -hmm. um, massive. Massive, yeah. But children learn language through verbal social communication. Like, like me saying to you, go to China and speak Chinese to people without ever hearing an ounce of Chinese words. No. Couldn't do it. No. And if, if children are... Um, there was a study showing that children from more affluent backgrounds are exposed to more words and thus there is a big discrepancy between um, um, financial means mm -hmm. and children's language abilities, et cetera, et cetera. And if that is the case, then it's up to us as, as early as settings to try and minimise and draw that gap as close as possible and to give every child a, a, a fair start in life and a fair opportunity. So we have to be using language-rich environments and I'm not saying grab the dictionary and start saying all the words that would score really highly in Scrabble. But what I am saying is talk, 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 talk. It's that radio communication. So saying that, one of our settings got pulled up for talking too much. I think that was more of nerves on the day and didn't give the children enough time to... Over communication as yeah. opposed to talking, yeah. Um, yeah, that's a really big one. But it's interesting that maths... Barely mentioned at the moment yeah, in January. Yeah, have disappeared. I, well, we're clearly smashing it. I was going to say, either we're absolutely smashing it or Ofsted have just actually backed off a little bit from yeah. how much of an emphasis they're putting on maths. My guess would be it's somewhere between both of those points. I think as well, though, maybe it's that understanding that oh, this is going to be very controversial. I like to be coming at me again. Maths will come. Numbers and adding things together and 
subtracting and the quote-unquote typical maths yeah. will come, whereas language needs to happen from the start. The thing for me is... Um, Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I always like children in early years to have a contextual understanding of maths. Mathematical content as in like... Time. Time. Money. Weight. Um, measurement. Measurement. Yep. Filling and pouring and more and less and all those things. Yes, 100%. But I don't want to see children in a preschool sat down doing sums. No, I think that's the thing. You can do it in a practical way. I'm not saying that through play. Oh, I've got six bananas I've bought from the shop. If you yep. take two, how many am I going to have left? We do like that. That's fine. But I don't think it needs to be... I don't think that's why it's a massive focus at the moment, and that's why I think language has taken over. I think officers sometimes learn when they focus heavily on things, it can often go, like... Too far. It can become quite obsessed with across early years. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it just goes down a spiral. I think, yeah, that wasn't our intention. No. What has happened? Everyone's got maths areas yeah. with scientific calculations. There's numbers all over the place in bright red, and, and, it, just put, and it puts children off. You're going to go the opposite way. There is... Um, scientific research being done that shows yeah. forcing children to do things early on, and I'm simplifying this a lot now, but forcing children to do things and then they gain this negative uh, connotation with it. And then as soon as you start talking about it in later life and stuff, those memories result in chemicals being pumped around the body and you become anxious about it and stuff. I've talked about this in one of my classes. I can't for the life of me think which class it is. Well, there we go. If everybody could go watch all of Emily's classes and report no, back. I did because I talked about the fact that maths became a tick list. I cannot for the life of me remember. You, which when, when, when we turn the podcast off, you'll remember. remember. But, um, I talked about the fact that maths became such a tick list for us that can they do it yes or no? And when you tell a child no, no, try again, no, try again, no, try again, because you are trying to get them to prove that they know it. Yeah, it gets linked that to failure. Fear, yeah, that fear of failure kicks in. And that's where I think maybe they have backed off maths a little bit. Because but if we're doing maths well, it's about incorporating it into learning opportunities and experiences. It happens. And I, I, I'm a big fan of STEM and STEM activities, so science, technology, engineering, maths, and in teaching children things that are going to blow their minds and doing little experiments and incorporating maths into it that way. You know, even like building volcanoes, paper mache volcanoes, that's always my favourite. I told you about that activity that one of our students did this week with Lux Bandon's drink. Yes, yes. Oh my gosh, I've, I've never seen it before. Oh, sorry, I just hit the mic. I've never seen it before. It was fascinating. So they tied string to an elastic band with their preschoolers and they all had to work together to pull the elastic band to be big enough to pick up different objects. So they had a jar, they had a tennis ball, they had a water bottle and they had to work together to lift it up and if the item was too heavy, they had to make sure they put the elastic band down at the bottom so they could... Fascinating, but that to me is more valuable learning of maths and size and log shapes and everything like the, that. The logical processing and the critical thinking all yeah, involved that there. went in there. It was crazy. And the relation with maths is by far greater than just remembering three plus three. Because three plus three, as much as then there is math, mathematical principle behind that, actually what you're doing there is working on memory. Yes. And that's what that is. Three plus three, six plus six, like... It's, it's at that point in in early years, children are using memory to remember the function behind it. If you're doing it purely, I'm talking about written out, and, yeah. so, and you're often practicing that and reciting it and reciting it and reciting. That's why counting from one to twenty, very little mathematical principles happening there. It's actually 
um, memory. And it's interesting because there was a study that showed, um, a study, I say, it was an experiment or whatever, but they did two plus two, three plus three, and the child was very good at it. Then it gave them cubes and made the mathematical principle behind what they just did real life. Child really struggled, like really struggled relationally to have 20 cubes and have to do take two, take three, and then have the amount of cubes they needed for the answer. You say that, it's, um, it says in the YFS about how numbers relate to objects or clapping or skipping or something like that. I remember back in the day, we'd say to a child, can you do three, can you count out three claps? One, two, brilliant, tick. It's there, it's all there, and it's still, mm. it still to this day haunts me because it was so, it was so like, oh, we'll just, they can do it and then we'll tick it off. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We've moved so far from that now. But we kind of moved away from verbal communication here. Yeah, we, we, that's, so, we haven't even talked about <laughs> So it's about constantly chatting. I would say I like to hear people talk. But, yeah, strategically, though, also letting the child get a word in edgeways is, is probably appropriate. Yes, of course, but... That's what I mean, though. Conversations. Yeah. I want to hear talk from even, everyone. Even in baby rooms when you're not getting much back except a, a few giggles and Up. noises. and Yeah. yeah. It, it's so important because that's how your brain registers language. That's how you learn it. And this early stage when their brains are most developing, you're creating the structures, structures constantly changing. Yeah. I've spoken about it so much. We've talked about it. It's so, so important. Yeah, and we've got videos on communication and the importance of communication. So we don't need to... No go on too much but even if I just you, a, no. question, a question we did get asked uh, recently or I don't think we were asked I think people are actually having an argument on Instagram but it was about um, and written it was about written uh, maybe I don't know it was about written um, language and having words up in your environment yeah for me this comes personal but for me I don't like just having random words put on the wall I don't think there's any relevance to it I personally struggle to see how you'd learn from it because, yes, you see, like, if you put random Chinese words up around my room at home, that wouldn't help me. I'm good try. Or French. Do you know what I mean? Because they have no context. They're just words. Oh, yeah. But if you've got a, where things belong in baskets and you've got a picture of the cars or the yeah, word cars. That's labelling, though, isn't it? That's, that's not labelling. Yeah. yeah. Labelling's really effective. If you can label things and put words around it or things around it that make sense and are contextual, bingo. But if you're just putting words up on the, on, on the wall without context, what I don't really see how it helps. Words like the word red written in red and the word yellow written in yellow. I think that's really important because you can start... But that's got context. Yeah, okay. True. Yeah, that's contextual. Fine, fine. So, I yeah, fine. I, so I said if words are contextual... figure out why you'd put non-contextual words in... People do though, don't they? Like, I have seen like... You can see an area what's all about understanding the world. It's when you start to go down that path of maths area, English area, understanding the world oh, what, area. It's just a, and then it's just, sign and just wall. on this wall, they've just got bonjour or something like random like that. Okay, yeah. Konnichiwa. <laughs> like, I get it. I understand what you're trying to do there, but like, I'm not being funny. I've, 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 the child's got no hope in hell of actually getting meaningful learning like that because it's just a word on a wall. And Yeah, okay, I'm with you. No. So... Labeling, absolutely. Random words, eh, eh. no, because that's not a language-rich environment because it lacks context. Yeah, true. Books are a fantastic way to bring verbalization into everything as well. Because if all else fails, I thought you were just reading then. <laughs> no, 
<laughs> you were really robotic at the start of that sentence. <laughs> Books. <laughs> Books. Um, if all else fails and you're really nervous and you've got a tough tray about dinosaurs going on and there's a book there about dinosaurs, you can read the book. Oh, absolutely, yeah. If all else fails and your nerves kick in, yeah, yeah, yeah. talk about the book yeah. and then link it to the tray. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. That is a fantastic way. And then you've your implementation of the next steps and the intent behind the activity can move further and you've scaffolded. Yeah, books are wicked. Use books all the time. All the time. Like regardless of Ofsted, just use books. Oh, you know, but what, in terms of Ofsted on the day, yeah. you've got a book with an activity oh, yeah. for the love of God, read it. I forgot about them in this podcast. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> um, so yeah, next one. Behaviour and expectations. Behaviour and expectations. Everyone's will be different. Everyone's expectations of children in different settings will be different. Yep. But you also need to look at the individual children as well. Yep. You've got a child with Sen who your expectations of them will be different yep. than a neurotypical child. Yeah, and how you help regulate them and the things you do around it from a yep. co-regulation standpoint and what you're asking them to achieve has to be in line with what we know they can do. Exactly. Because if you're asking, uh, it doesn't even have to be uh, a child with sen. It could just be a, it can be a, a typical child, but they struggle to sit down for long periods of time. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's absolutely fine. So then, what we're going to do is support them from a regulatory standpoint, rather than just stamping our foot and, our, and using our authority to say no, you do have to sit there for longer, um, or else, right? You're not helping that child in that sense. No. So, we had um, children in our twos room eating soup the other day. And um, good soup. Good soup. And one of them really struggles with his emotions. So he had a poppet at the table with him to All just right. yeah. regulate down eating his soup. Anyway, child next to him ended up with the poppet, but he was happy eating his bread and his soup. So he was fine. And um, the other child then was popping this toy mm -hmm. and then taking a spoonful and popping. And years ago, there'd been that expectation to take it off him. No, oh, yeah, yeah. The table. Yeah. How but dare that, he? How dare he? Yeah. But that child is now content. Both of them are content. And if we need to give the toy back to the child that it was originally intended for, do we rip it away or do we find him something different? Yep. So it's moved it's forward in those expectations. And he needed obviously something to focus yeah. on before he caused mischief potentially. Do you know what I found really interesting? Because um, obviously we're at the expo next week and for the expo we've created two hampers, haven't we, around wellbeing. And who, who, has, who has created hampers? Me. Um, <laughs> ben? Who has created hampers? And around this... <laughs> Emily has created some lovely wellbeing hampers for two lucky winners. And within these hampers are like fidget toys. You've put some fidget toys in there. <laughs> I know where this is going. And it, do you know what? It's so interesting because these fidget toys, there's excess ones lying around the office. And all of the adults <laughs> in the office, without actually realising it, have been utilising these fidget toys... <laughs> Just throughout the day. All day, every day. All day, every day. Like they've just sort of been drawn to them and used them without actually realising they're using them. I saw someone in the office the other day fully concentrating on what they were doing. Are you calling Rachel out? Yeah, I am. <laughs> but also utilising the fidget toy, like, with, like subconsciously. And so if we're doing it still as adults, like middle-aged grown-up adults with a fully, like, functional regulatory abilities and the ability to concentrate I love it. are I've still using two. fidget toys then bloody hell give the children a break I've got two on my desk we've got little poppet people and then the ball inside the tube and you move and to be fair I was reading through the other day and concentrating on it and I, I picked them up without even realising the other one I had before we used the excess fidget toys was blue tack 
I play with blues. You took it off my desk once. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same and I was, Excuse me, give that back. Because I make it into a square and then I squish it, make it into a board. And I do it without even realising that's what I'm doing. For anybody who only ever listens to our auditory podcast, I won't know this, but anybody who watches me talk on a podcast on, on YouTube, we put out the, um, hands the visual. Everywhere. Hands everywhere. But I always have something in my hands. Well, what did you say to me, yeah, though? Yeah, that was annoying what you were doing. I would do this with my string on my hoodie. You have to do a bit more than this for the, um, for the audio listeners. <laughs> no, you have to tell them what you'd... <laughs> so Emily would always play with a hoodie, like, the always. Tumbles. Yeah. Myself, it keeps me... Or you, you, you fix your um, collar a lot. You do that a lot. Yeah, okay. Or you play with your hair a lot as well. No, it's... Bloody hell, this is just <laughs> on Emily's Sunday, isn't it? <laughs> Um, but sorry, we've gone off kilter a little bit there. But expectations of behaviour is, again, what are we, ex is what we're expecting of children too high or is it too low? And again, or are we just being mean? Or, yeah, and again, consistency though. If, yeah. I'm, I'm always seen as bad cop, I believe, when I'm in talking about children's behaviour because if I know a child can behave in a certain way, mm. then they should. They do need boundaries. You yep, can't, yep, children yep, can't yep. get away with everything. But I'm never going to leave a child to... That, do you know what I mean? You never... Expect, expectations can't be too high. It's, do you it, know what I'm saying? Yeah, there's a, there's a big picture. Big picture is these are our, these are our values as a, as a group because that's what children are. You're still a big group. And they're also going out into society. Yep. So these are our values that we have. These are our expectations when it comes to tidying up, clearing down how we treat each other, et cetera, et cetera. You've got the laws, if you like, yeah. quotation marks, firmly entrenched, and that's what we stick by. Then when we talk about children and their behaviours, you've got to take context into account massively yeah, when you're dealing time. with the individual yeah. because we talk about emotional triggers, we talk about the individual development of that child, not educationally, but regulatory um, and how they can deal with situations. And then what is that? What are your environments? If your environment in an afternoon once you've had food and everything is you put the music on, everyone has a dance and stuff, and there's certain children then who act up and are really naughty during these times, it might actually be because they're you sensory overload. Oh, yeah. And you might actually, and they actually might want to just calm themselves and relax a little bit. And actually you're giving them the complete opposite. So they act up. At the end of the day, if you want to learn more, go check out my class on regulation. I, we've not got enough time to get into it here. But when we're talking about regulation, we're talking about behaviour, I think context is king yeah. in the individual. Yeah, because it's if, you're, if children are tidying up and someone is going through a moment of a meltdown and really struggling with that time, it's not saying they don't have to join in with tidy up time. But in that moment, they're genuinely really struggling to regulate their emotions around it. Yeah. So we go through it, we talk it through. Once we've all calmed and we've reached another level, we'll pick up a few blocks. I think sometimes, you know what we, I mean? I think sometimes we treat children with the same expectations of adults. So i.e. one child's having a meltdown. Oh, it's because they're lazy and they want to help clear up. Oh, hang on a second. <laughs> Probably isn't the no. case. So yeah, behaviour and expectations has been cropping up. Um, and often around food, like we've talked about, it's often around behaviour. Do you know what? Behaviour around mealtimes and respect for toys and equipment tends to be what they're referencing the most, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, and again, it's hard to really give too much feedback without individual context coming into it. Yeah. Because are we just allowing children to misbehave at mealtimes? Like, what's the, look, without the context behind it, it's very hard to sit here and be judgmental or give advice or anything like that. Because you just don't know. No. But when it comes to toys and equipment, that does come down to modelling, example setting. 
routines. Well. I think as well, yep. we struggle to, I don't know if we shy away from it, but telling children how it's made us feel. Big part of co-regulation though, talk yeah. about feelings. But it's about if a child has purposefully broken something or stood on something, you can tell them that you are sad. Yeah. And exploring the why behind they've done yeah. that is also probably a big thing. Like, what was our reasoning for but why do Yeah, why do we get to that point? Are we angry? I've um, had children tell me before, it's okay, you'll just buy more. And I've had to say, unfortunately, we won't. That toy is now gone. We've we've got to a point where we've got, it's broken and it's gone and the car is beyond repair. And I can't just go to the shops to buy another one because that's not how it works. Yeah, yeah. We have to talk through that process. And if if children continue to behave in that way, but you are still talking them through it, there's not a lot you can do because if that is just the way that a child believes things should be treated, then tough shit, really. But if you continue to tell them that eventually there will be no cars left for your friends to play that's with. A, that's a really difficult one because there's, the solution to that is probably at home. That's what I'm saying, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But if what we can do in, in a setting is continue to say, this is, the, this is the outcome, this is the why. Unfortunately, you've broken another one. It's gone. We're not going to keep replacing them. The penny might drop eventually. Or you'll just be proved right because you, you get there'll be no toys left eventually. You'll have to do something. Well, yeah. Today, children, we're playing with coal and dirt. Get outside, yeah. There's no toys left inside, so let's go. But that's what I'm saying. We yeah. just have to be proving to be consistent with what how we're addressing yeah, our and, and our expectations. Um, the last one, we've been rabbiting on for nearly an hour now. Though. I know. I know. This was a short and sweet one. We say this every week. I know, I'm sorry. Um, your staff well-being is huge at the moment. Yeah, following obviously the update in January to the inspection handbook as a result of of, of last year. Um, yeah, staff well-being is is is, is seemingly uh, an element to it. Though, what, is it a bit of a throwaway? I hope not. Because I've not yet, it's not actually been anyone's feedback yet in terms of things you have to... No, but I have seen lots of comments online about how Austin inspectors have made it at the forefront on the day to when they're talking to people, would, which I think is really important. It'd be really interesting if, oh God forbid, they do get negative feedback in terms of staff wellbeing, what they do about about it. It would be, be interesting to see if it ever comes... Have you updated the complaints procedure? I know. It, uh, all I'm saying is it, now it's being referenced... Sure what, what that really means. Now it's being referenced in the, you know, this nursery does really well or this nursery needs to improve on. be interested if it ever creeps into the improve on area and what that looks like. Because yeah. at the moment it's very high up, which seems intentional. I don't know if I'm just being sceptic, but it seems always very high up on this nursery does well sort of aspect of it, which is great. But it... it I, I, I would just wonder if they're just... Oh, as in, like, you've read a little bit. Staff well-being is taken yeah. into account and... Yeah, it's almost like copy and paste. A little bit. It's just, it's just interesting. It's going to be, I think what I'm saying is, watch this space, let's see how it develops over the next seven, eight months. Yeah. It's nice that they're keying into it, though, and it's an important aspect of it. But the complaints around well-being weren't so much setting leaders were doing, doing to employees. Right. It was more around Ofsted. So it seems slightly strange that they're now saying, and they're now batting over us. If anyone's had an inspection end of last year, beginning of no, this since, year. Since, since, no, I know, but since the events of last year unfolded. Yeah, but they changed it in January. So if yes, anyone's had one really this year. No, I know. But in, in, anyway, if anyone's had one in the last couple of months, <laughs> um, I'd love to know if 
you feel that the inspection has been different from previous inspections? Because the next one that I'm involved in, it will be really interesting to know or to see if the inspectors take the day differently. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Saying that, the two inspections that I was involved in in 2022, the inspectors both viewed the staff very differently anyway. Yeah. And we had one inspector who, the way she spoke to staff was really nice, like genuinely really nice. Um, and another one who, like you said, did you have a nice journey? Yes. End of conversation. Yeah, she warmed up to it. She did warm up to it. But why should the first, like, when somebody walks into your setting, you're expected as a setting to be warm and welcoming. welcoming. You'd like to hope that you receive that back. And I think, I think moving forward. I think forward for me is, all, I, don't, I, I don't get, I don't get why you wouldn't be. I'm not I'm like, it seems very old fashioned, doesn't it? Yeah. To, to 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 turn up, be frosty, and I'm here with the authority, sort of thing. Like if you walk into a nursery and there's safeguarding concerns and there's issues, you're going to spot them, regardless if you walk in and say, "Hi, everyone, good morning, my name is," or you walk in very cold. Like yeah. you're going to see the because if if that's stopping you seeing the issues going on, then it, it, there's something on you. Your problem, yeah, like, not the setting. So. But yeah, I think yeah. right, staff well-being. So I think there's a fine line between professionalism and non-professionalism. But walking into a into a nursery and saying good morning and smiling doesn't make you unprofessional for no. me, unless I'm missing something here. The often inspector that we dealt with last year could tell that manager was a little bit nervous, and yeah. I think she was fantastic. She wasn't overpowering, and it was genuinely a lovely to be involved in. Yeah. And I think it's that she was not unprofessional at yeah. all. She, in fact, she was probably the worst professional officer inspector I've come across. Yeah, yeah. But she did very well at being clear, concise, and to the point that everybody just instantly went, right, okay, I know what we're doing here. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? The end of the day, if I was an officer inspector, it's... I'm... I'm Only 24 <laughs> bingo card, Ben becomes an officer. If I'm an officer, <laughs> if I'm an officer inspector, I'm walking in... Very aware that what we're about to do is not the most efficient way or the best way of evaluating a nursery, but it's the hand we're dealt and it's the scenario we're in. So to go in there, I want to see what this setting can do at their very best. And if I can calm that a little bit and give them some reassurance, but at the same time, You're there to I'm there to do, I'm there to look at it. I'm there to, for the children. I have, there is a middle ground. I'm not there to be your friend. No. There to to professionally, <laughs> I I want you to do the best you can, but I'm not your best mate. Like, do you know what I mean that? There's yeah, sometimes there sometimes line. yeah. There's a very fine line, yeah. and, and 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 yeah. But yeah, staff wellbeing seems to be hot at the moment. But like you said, we'll see how long that lasts and if it can be reflected in reports in different ways. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Happy. I think so. Smashed it. Anybody who's <laughs> someone actually messaged just uh, this weekend. They've got their inspection on Monday. I missed that message. Yeah, came. Uh, I just noted it an hour or so ago, but oh. they've got their inspection on um, on Monday, so this will come out Listen at six a.m. Six o'clock, six a.m. Listen to this podcast. So if you not are, unfortunately, if you've not done it by six o'clock on Monday morning, don't try and implement <laughs> anything. You don't do. The odds are that individual will listen to this podcast. I would Monday assume are <laughs> uh, well after Monday. Um, I hope you did well. Yeah. I hope it went really well. Let us know um, how you got on. Yeah. Um, don't be afraid of an Ofsted inspector. They are human beings. No, I always see Ofsted examinations. I'm always a bit weird like this. It's the same as um, exams at school. I always really used to like exams. I'd never liked coursework. I liked exams. Oh, she did. Because I worked my ass off, like revising. I was weird. I used to like get the textbook to write the whole thing out again. Um, that was my learning style. 
<laughs> but it's went, in, went into my head and I always used to like exams because it was right. I've locked myself away in the room for the past month and a half. This is my chance to, to show I, how much information I can ascertain and, and, and what I know. I mean, one, it shows how absolutely shite our learning system is, our educational system is. But it also then goes to show Ofsted exams, I think, or Ofsted inspections are very similar. It's your opportunity to show and demonstrate why you guys are so good at what you do exactly, yeah. and all the little niche things you do are great. Ofsted love that. You look at the inspections, once again, outstanding. Often in that is referenced unusual or the non-norm. Like we spoke about earlier, Pilates, mindfulness, yoga, whatever it might be that you guys... And dial into, I mean, I talked about this in... Which class was I did? I think I did this about creating a really successful team. Dial into the individuals you have in your yeah, setting. Absolutely. If you've got staff members who are really into, I don't know, art, dial into it. If you've got sporty and they're into yoga, dial into it. Like, get the most out of your team. Yeah. And this is a great way to do it. But we're diving back into this podcast and we were trying to wrap it up. I apologise. I'm going to wrap it up. We're done. <laughs> we finished. <laughs> I hope everyone has a lovely week. I hope you've taken something from this. Um... Don't be scared of our said, embrace it. Yep. And if you were at the expo, the Childcare and Education Expo Come in and say London. Hello to us. We're there Friday and Saturday. Come and swing Both by. Days. You can enter our competition. Come and meet the team. Got any questions? Explore the website a little bit more if you've not yet. Sign up. Yep. Sign up. All that good have stuff. Have a look. Um, Just come and hang out. There, yeah. We'll be good. We'll be for fun. Yeah. And if anybody is in the market for clothes, <laughs> I've um, been tasked with. Um, creating a vintage profile for my dearest mother and, you have. and putting her clothes up because they are currently in the process of moving houses and it's chaotic bless them so I put loads of stuff up on vintage I'll drop a link in the description of this podcast yeah, if anybody shopping. is a size 12 sort of a, an average woman's 12 go check it out there's tons of there's, there's loads of stuff she hasn't even worn it's mental um, so go check go. that out have a look at that <laughs> shout out vintage other selling sites are don't be one of those, though. If I put it up for like 15 pounds, don't offer me a pound. <laughs> right, on that note, I'm going to wrap up. Thank you so much for listening again, everybody. Really appreciate it. We yep. will see you next Monday, potentially for an expo rundown. Absolutely. Have right. a lovely week. Much love. Bye. Bye. Bye.